You are listening to the Nixon Now podcast. I'm Allie Fitzgerald-Smith. This podcast is brought to you by the Richard Nixon Foundation. We're broadcasting from the Charlie Zhang Studio at the Nixon Presidential Library in Yorba Linda, California. This is the final official episode in a six-part series called The President's Club, which parallels an all-new special exhibit at the Nixon Library. Throughout this series, we have discussed political friendships spanning across American history. The first episode was about the friendship between John Adams and Thomas Jefferson, We also talked about Teddy Roosevelt and Taft and FDR and LBJ. We've also discussed the friendships of President Nixon and Eisenhower, George H.W. Bush and Bill Clinton. Today, we're bringing the discussion to present day and looking at the friendly relationship between the Nixons and President Trump. Joining us again on this episode is the curator and author of the President's Club exhibit, Bob Bostock. Bob, thanks for joining us. Always a pleasure to be with you, Ali. Thank you. So, Bob, when did the Nixons first become aware of Donald Trump? Well, you know, the Nixons uh, moved to New York in 1980. Um, They had, of course, after they left the White House, were at their home in San Clemente. But in 1980, by that period, both their daughters, Tricia and Julie, and their families had settled on the East Coast. And they decided to come back to the East Coast. So, and moved to New York and then uh, to Saddle River, New Jersey. So, when they came back east uh, to, to New York City, they quickly became aware of Donald Trump, who in the early 80s was a very large figure on the New York stage, uh, somebody who was uh, a real public figure because of his real estate holdings and uh, somebody who just, uh, the, the, the newspapers like to talk about what Donald Trump was up to. So they became aware of him uh, pretty soon after they got back to the East Coast. And how did they uh, communicate with each other? Well, there actually are a series of letters between the two of them that uh, start in 1982 and run through to 1990, interestingly. Uh, People know about the letter that Mr. Nixon wrote to uh, Trump in 1987 after an appearance on, uh, Trump had an appearance on the Donahue Show. We can talk about that a little later. But they actually uh, came acquainted with each other in 1982, when uh, Trump and Mr. Nixon and a couple other people had dinner together at the 21 Club in New York City. And the first letter we have in the exhibit is a letter from Donald Trump dated June 14, 1982, where he thanks President Nixon for sending him an autographed photograph that was taken at that dinner of the 21 Club. And Trump writes in the letter, I think you are one of this country's great men, and it was an honor to spend an evening with you. At your convenience, I would like to do it again. So that was the first correspondence we have in this exhibit between the future president and the former president. And what else did they talk about in these letters? Well, what's interestingly, the next letter we have is about a year later, uh, Mr. Trump had bought a football team, the New Jersey Generals which was in a league that was trying to get started. And uh, the first year of the team uh, was in existence in this new league. Uh, The generals did very poorly. Trump bought the team after that first year. And when President Nixon learned about that, he wrote what is the longest letter in in this series of correspondence to Mr. Trump, uh, giving him a lot of advice on how they could turn the generals into a winning season. Nixon, of course, was a huge fan of football. Uh, He had played football in high school and in college. 
by his own admission, he was not a particularly good football player. He said at one point that he would usually only get in the game if his team was far ahead or far behind. Hmm. But he was a lifelong fan of football. And he gave, he wrote a page and a half long uh, typewritten letter to Mr. Trump with suggestions on how they could how the generals could improve for the coming season. And he, he starts off by saying, as an avid football fan, I was delighted to hear that you had purchased the New Jersey Generals. Based on your track record in business, if there's any way that the team can become a financial success, you are the man to do it. And the president then goes on to say, let me be so presumptuous as to offer a little free advice, which is worth, incidentally, exactly what it costs. But he then went on to talk about how, um, particularly on the on the team itself, how they could turn into a winning team. He says, uh, he says later in the letter, when you get your new coach, I would strongly urge you to give him as a first priority trading for and signing offensive linemen. And he talks about how the generals had Herschel Walker, a great running back uh, at the time, but he could not do as well as he did because the offensive line was pretty weak and didn't really get the blocking. So he urged them to uh, go ahead and get people on that offensive line who could block so that Walker could really uh, achieve the running statistics and uh, accomplishments that he was capable of achieving. And uh, he, he also talked about how uh, the importance of uh, getting a good television deal for the games, because people like to watch the games on television, and uh, said that he really hopes that the league survives because this new league uh, was designed not to play during the same period that the NFL played, but rather during the spring when there was no football on. So people could see football not only in the fall and winter, but also in the spring going into the summer. So he was hoping uh, that, that the uh, team would succeed because he would love to have had football games to watch all year round. That's how big a fan President Nixon was of, of the game of football and how much he really knew about it. Like I said, he wasn't a great player, but he really knew the game, really knew the intricacies of the game. So I'm curious, was it good advice? Did they turn the season around? It was excellent advice. In fact, the league only lasted for two more years. But in both of those years, the generals went from having a, a really atrocious losing record in their first year. But in the two years under uh, Mr. Trump's leadership, uh, the generals had a very strong winning record and uh, went to the playoffs. So uh, whether that was entirely due to President Nixon's advice or not, there's no way to tell. But I can't help but think that because of the advice he offered, which Trump obviously followed, the generals were able to turn things around and have two successful seasons. Unfortunately, the league did not continue. It folded after the, the third year. But uh, those last two years of the generals was really something to, uh, something to watch as they turned things around. And did Trump respond to that letter? He did. He did. He responded very quickly. Only a couple, you know, a couple of weeks later, he wrote, Dear Mr. President, I greatly appreciate your letter concerning the generals. Your opinions on world events are beyond doubt. But now I hope to be able to obtain some wise football advice as time goes on. Your counsel on offensive linemen is exactly correct. For Herschel Walker to have gained 1,700 yards with almost no line is incredible. So he then goes on to say, because Trump has always been a salesman. He then goes on to say, one of my greatest ambitions is to have the Nixons as residents in Trump Tower. <laughs> so he not only not only thanks the president for his football advice, but makes a pitch for having the Nixons move to Trump Tower. Of course, when uh, Mr. Trump wrote this letter, 
Uh, the Nixons were already living in Saddle River, New Jersey. They had left their uh, place in New York after a little more than a year for the suburbs in North Jersey. Uh, it was very unlikely that they would have moved back into the city at that point. But uh, Trump was pitching. He would love to have had the Nixons living in Trump Tower. And as you mentioned, we know it wasn't just President Nixon who was intrigued by President Trump's larger-than-life personality. Mrs. Nixon actually predicted that he might have a political future ahead. Is that correct? That's exactly right. A few years later, in 1987, uh, Mr. Trump appeared on the Donahue Show, which was, at the time, uh, the, the most watched uh, television talk show during the daytime in the country. Very, very successful. Donahue was on the air for more than 20 years, and then eventually Oprah Winfrey came along and she kind of replaced uh, Donahue. But she saw uh, Trump on Donahue, and after that appearance, uh, President Nixon wrote a, a short note to Mr. Trump and said, Dear Donald, I did not see the program, but Mrs. Nixon told me you were great on the Donahue show, and he underlined the word great. And he goes on to say, as you can imagine, she is an expert on politics, and she predicts that whenever you decide to run for office, you will be a winner. With warm regards, sincerely, RN. So it's, you know, that letter, as I mentioned a minute or two ago, became well known in, in uh, 2015 when a biography of Mr. Trump was written as he was getting ready to run for president, talked about this letter. And uh, Trump said during the campaign that he would put it in his office at the White House if he won. And of course, uh, Mrs. Nixon was right. Uh, long before anybody even dreamed, almost 30 years before anyone dreamed that uh, Mr. Trump would be running for president. But uh, she was right in her prediction that he would be a winner. And did Trump respond to Mrs. Nixon's prediction? He did. In fact, he responded very quickly to, to the letter from the president. Uh, the letter was written to Mr. Trump on December 21st, 1987. And on December 24th, 1987, just three days later, uh, Mr. Trump responded to the president, uh, thanking him for his note and for passing along Mrs. Nixon's comments. And he sent both a, a VCR tape of the show and a copy of his book, The Art of the Deal, which he inscribed to uh, President Nixon. And he wrote, it's interesting because this book uh, with his inscription will be on display on the exhibit. And it's really fascinating to, to see for a couple of reasons. First of all, 30 years before he became president, Mr. Trump was still using those uh, wide-tipped markers because this inscription is very clearly written with a wide-tipped uh, Sharpie marker. So the inscription reads, to Richard Nixon, I greatly appreciate your note and hope you enjoy the book. Please give my regards to Mrs. Nixon, a truly wonderful lady. Best wishes, Donald. And his signature in 1987 was almost as hard to read as it is today. So uh, he would, you know, the, the, in terms of the handwriting and the use of the Sharpie and everything, what we see today is what he was using for a very long time. And what's interesting about that, you know, that's, that would be a small point in and of itself. But if you watch the interview from 1987, when Trump was, you know, in his 40s, uh, a very, as you've said, larger than life figure on the New York scene. He sounds very much the way he does today, both in terms of the issues that he talked about and the way he talked about them. Uh, he was very blunt. Uh, and he said at one point during the interview, you know, I can say what I think because I'm not running for office. 
but uh, he talked about things like the United States' uh, relationship with other countries, the support that we were giving to other countries from a military and economic standpoint, and how he felt it was uh, out of balance. Uh, he talked about the need to uh, restore the country's uh, place in the world, economically particularly. Uh, so if you watch that interview from 30, it's now 33 years ago, the, the Trump you see at that interview is very much the same person you see today. He has been very consistent in his views of his respect for the United States, his belief in the United States, and his desire for the United States to always be a leader in the world. That hasn't, just like his handwriting hasn't changed, his views on those issues have not changed either. And the way he talks about them hasn't changed either. Very blunt, uh, not in the way that most politicians talk about issues, but uh, that's Donald Trump. That was Trump in 87, and it certainly is President Trump today. And Mrs. Nixon saw that and thought that was a winning uh, method and, and turned out to be right 30 years yes, later. That's exactly right. And, uh, you know, I think that a lot of people at that time would not have predicted that if uh, Donald Trump ran for office, he would win. In fact, right up until the moment he was elected president, people said there's no way he would ever be elected. But she saw something in him, in the way he discussed issues, and I think the way he was able to discuss them in a way that appealed to people who were not necessarily uh, political junkies, if you will, but to folks who were concerned about how the country was going, but also were living their lives and worried about supporting their family and doing uh, and working and, and being part of their community, he was able to speak to them, I think she thought, in a way that uh, would resonate with them. And we see now that uh, while President Trump certainly comes under, I think, uh, a fair amount of criticism, I think most people who do analyze why he succeeded in 2016 is for that exact reason. The people are, that he's able to connect with people who are not into politics, but people who know that uh, they want somebody as president who can speak to them in their own language. So you mentioned he talked on the Donahue show about um, some key issues that were important to him. Were there any other issues that he um, corresponded with President Nixon about? Well, they shared, they, one interesting exchange which happened a few years before that uh, was about, uh, there was a Vietnam Veterans Day in uh, New York, and uh, Trump was a big financial supporter of that event. And uh, when President Nixon had heard about it, he, he wrote a letter to Mr. Trump expressing his appreciation, as he puts it in his words, expressing his deep appreciation for your very generous contribution to the Vietnam Day celebration. And he said, President Nixon went on to say, it is indeed gratifying to note that after 10 long years, the American people appreciate the sacrifice of those who served the nation in a long and difficult war. And the president continues, back in 1970, John Lindsay, who was then the governor of New York, was quoted as saying, our best young men went to Canada. I responded in my book, No More Vietnams, by observing that our best young men went to Vietnam. And he concludes the letter by saying, your contribution helped bring that message home. But then, of course, back to football, he's, the president includes a PS. I am still rooting hard for the generals and for the USFL, United States Football League. Only your strong leadership will enable both to survive. So uh, Trump responded to that letter 
uh, just a couple of weeks later, uh, thanking the president uh, for recognizing his contribution to the Vietnam Veterans uh, Day. And then writing uh, Trump writes, I truly felt the impact of the moment when I marched in the parade because of my extraordinary respect and admiration for you and your accomplishments. Your letter was all the more meaningful. You did a great service to this country when you extricated us from the war in Vietnam. So uh, on that issue, you know, Vietnam was obviously uh, an issue of great importance to President Nixon. It, it consumed his entire first term, uh, achieving peace with honor and the return of our prisoners of war. Um, it was the overriding issue that he had to deal with in that, in that first term. And it was a subject that he obviously gave a lot of thought to also in his post-presidency. So even 11 years after the war ended, uh, when there was a Vietnam Veterans Day, Nixon felt moved to write to Trump to say he really appreciated his support for that. And he really appreciated the fact that the American people who did not treat the uh, people who served in Vietnam very well when they would return uh, had finally come to recognize uh, that all of the men who served in Vietnam and all of the women who served there as nurses and in other uh, support roles, not in combat roles, uh, deserved really the respect and the thanks of the American people. He was glad to see that that corner was being turned. And is that letter on display as well in the exhibits? Yes, all of the letters that uh, we're discussing today are on display in the exhibit. And uh, it's a fascinating archive altogether. And there's one last letter in the exhibit that I think uh, is the last one that is in our records. It was written in June of 1990. And it shows, uh, I think, President Nixon's uh, sympathy for someone who uh, has had to endure more than his fair share, what, what he would see as his fair share of media uh, attention and attack. So this was during a period in, in June of 90 when uh, Trump, as a business person, was coming under a lot of criticism from the media. And the president wrote a handwritten note to uh, Mr. Trump at that time. And it's uh, short enough that I'll read the whole thing, but I really think it tells us a lot. He writes, Dear Donald, I know nothing about the intricacies of your business enterprises, but the massive media attack on you puts me in your corner. Then he goes on to say, my unsophisticated opinion is that your cash crunch is due in large part to the softness in the economy. Whatever the reason, I am confident you will overcome your present difficulties with warm regards, RN. So President Nixon, as someone who endured during the course of his entire uh, public life, a huge amount of criticism from the media, uh, much of it, in my view, uh, unfair and biased, uh, really uh, had felt a connection to someone who he also felt was probably receiving unfair attacks from the media. And that's why he, he sent that handwritten note, not in response to anything that Trump had written to him, but to uh, Mr. Trump to let him know that... Uh, you know, he's with him. And if, if the media is against Trump, then the president's for him. And that's the last, uh, the last letter from their correspondence that we have in the exhibit. And I believe it's the last exchange of letters, certainly that we've been, we have found in the archives uh, between, the, between the men. Well, Bob, this is the final episode in our six-part President's Club series. 
However, talking today about Mrs. Nixon's prediction has me thinking about the incredible friendships that Pat Nixon formed during her time in the White House and her life spent in the arena alongside President Nixon. Will you join me for another episode about First Lady friendships and Pat Nixon's life in the arena? Oh, I'd be happy to do that. And let me just say, as we conclude this series of six uh, podcasts, that I think particularly at this time in American history, taking a look back at some of our presidents, getting an understanding for the difficulties they faced in the job, the hardest job in the world probably. And the fact that even some of these presidents who were not necessarily political allies shared the experience of being president and came together in friendship, uh, in many ways unexpected friendship, uh, I think can tell us a lot about uh, what we're going through now and can give us some hope uh, for what the country is going through now. But uh, Mrs. Nixon's friendships with a couple of the first ladies that uh, preceded her, I think, are very, very interesting. And I really look forward to talking about that with you as well. Thank you for listening to the Nixon Now podcast. Our guest today was the curator and author of the President's Club exhibit, Bob Bostock. On behalf of the Richard Nixon Foundation, I'm Allie Fitzgerald-Smith. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Nixon Foundation. Please subscribe to the podcast and tune in next week for a bonus episode of the President's Club.